0: You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Good morning, Faith. Let me get set up here. My name is uh, David. Like Dylan said earlier, and I work for an organization called the Traveling Team, and. Essentially, what we do, our purpose is to mobilize Christians at universities and local churches all over the world. Uh, we, we educate and equip them to fulfill their responsibility in world evangelization. Uh, so for most of the year, I travel around in a minivan with three other people driving from campus to campus, talking with college students about a lot of the stuff that we're gonna be looking at this morning. You can find out more about uh, what we do at our, at our website, thetravelingteam.org. Uh, like Don said, I also talk a little bit more about what I do on the, the Good Faith podcast, so you can listen to that. But, but anyways, I, I grew up, here in this area, and the house that I grew up in was in Largo, right down the street, and we literally lived like 10 minutes from the beach. So, so I have memories growing up where my family and I, we'd ride our bikes to the beach to watch the sunset, and I would race my younger sister Becca there, you guys know her, and obviously I would always beat her because I was on my orange BMX bike, and she was on her like little pink bike with the little, uh, what do you call those things, training wheels? and. And I'd be racing all the way there. Mom and dad would be telling me, okay, like, slow down. And honestly, like, I wasn't that excited about the sunset. I was way, way more excited about what came first. And what came before the sunset was ice cream. <laughs> There's this ice cream shop. It's down in Indian Rocks Beach. It's called the Tacky Turtle. It's no longer called that. Now it's called the Kooky Coconut. How many of y'all have been there or know what I'm talking about? Okay, Some. Tacky turtle, cookie coconut, your guess is as good as mine for what it's going to be called next. But, uh, but there we are at the tacky turtle and we walk in and I look up to this board and I see like 30 different flavors on it. And I'm looking and I'm looking, but there's one flavor that surpasses them all. And that flavor is the Superman. <laughs> I thought, you know, if this is Superman's ice cream, this is going to be my ice cream. And every time I went to the Tacky Turtle, that's what I would get, Superman ice cream. So there I am, sitting on the beach, next to my sister, watching the sunset, eating Superman, and all is well in the world. And then, when I turned 15, something happened. I got the job of my dreams, working at an ice cream shop on the beach. And when you're from Florida, you all know this, when you work at an ice cream shop on the beach, like, you're at the top. There's no going, there's no going above that you've made it I was basically like I was so popular I could just kind of like pick any girl I wanted to take to prom that's like how (laughs) popular I was and I thought I made it and then when I started working there I learned how Superman ice cream is made let me tell you how Superman ice cream is made there's four main layers the first layer is plain vanilla the second layer Superman ice cream is plain vanilla with tasteless blue food coloring the third layer is plain vanilla with tasteless red food coloring. And then the fourth flavor is plain vanilla with tasteless yellow food coloring. And when I learned this, I remember thinking to myself, you mean to telling me I've just been eating plain vanilla this whole time? (laughs) You see, it's, it's one thing to waste 15 years on just plain vanilla ice cream, but the reality is I wasted more than 15 years of my life on the wrong purpose. I mean, all of these things, they aren't necessarily bad. Money, fame, self-centeredness. But, but when we make these things our life's purpose, they're, they're empty. They're vanilla. They have no eternal flavor, no eternal meaning. Through, through God's word and his world, I began to see that the purposes that I was living for weren't what they promised to be. And and the world will tell you that these are the best things. Live for, for money, live for fame, live to focus on yourself. In the end, though, these things are empty and they have no eternal impact. But then God invited me and he invites all of us this morning into his global and his eternal purpose, his mission. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at God's mission It starts in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. It goes all the way to the end in Revelation. So we're going to go from cover to cover in about 30 minutes. So bear with me. Genesis 1 through 11 is really the introduction to God's mission. In it, we see see creation, the fall, the flood. And then after the flood, God commands humanity. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. You see, God wants to see a world filled with people who know him and who love him. But then in Genesis 11, we come to this story that some of you all are familiar with called the Tower of Babel. And we see that humanity, they haven't listened to God. Instead of filling the earth, they've all come together, they've built a tower and a city to make a name for themselves. So in direct disobedience to God, God strikes their tongues, he scatters them throughout the earth, and from an, in an instant we go from one people speaking one language in one location to many people speaking many languages, and they're scattered all over the face of the earth. And they're separated from one another because of these new language and geographic barriers, and they're separated from God because of their sin. God's purpose hasn't changed for the world, though. He still wants to see the world filled with people who know him and love him. So what is God going to do to fix this problem that humanity can't? You see, after this 11-page introduction, we, we turn the page and we get to Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 is really where the mission of God begins. God chooses one man, Abram, and he begins to, to begin to bring all of these newly formed language groups back to know him and love him. Let's read. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, who would later be named Abraham, go, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I want you to notice something here. The mission of God, it begins with a command. Go. Go, Abram. Leave leave your place, your people, your protection. And if you're Abram, you're probably thinking... Um, what? This sounds horrible. You want me to, to leave my home, my family, my comfort? But God says, hold on, Abram. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm trying to give you a greater purpose for your life. Let's keep reading in verse two. Go, Abram. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Don't miss this. God tells Abram that he's going to bless him, but that it's not just for him. It's so that he would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And God is going to repeat this over 1,600 times in scripture, his desire to see every nation, every tribe, every tongue come to know and love him. He's going to do it and he's going to use his people to make it happen. God is going to bless his people To bless all peoples. This is God's mission. It starts in Genesis 12, but we can see it play out throughout the rest of Scripture. In verse 4, we see Abram's response What's he gonna do? So Abram went. Abram went as the Lord told him. He trusted and obeyed God. Let's see the pattern continue with Abram's son Isaac. The Lord says this to Isaac, Isaac, I will be with you and bless you. I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Then God says this to Jacob, Isaac's son. Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed you and your offspring God tells Jacob there's not even a map that's big enough to show you how far this blessing is going to go it's going to go to all the peoples of the earth whether they're wheat west east north south it's going everywhere you see we're not even out of Genesis yet and it's the same thing on repeat God blesses his people to bless all peoples he desires a world filled with people who know and love him, and he's using his people to do it. And as we turn the page to Exodus, we see that this family that started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they've multiplied. They've become the nation of Israel. And after being enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years, God doesn't forget about his people. He leads them out of captivity. How many of y'all remember when God parted the Red Sea? Right, We know that story. Right, God leads the Israelites out of of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through on the dry ground. Why did God do this? Why did he bless his people with physical deliverance? It was because he loved Israel and he wanted to rescue them, no doubt. But there's actually a bigger reason. And we know this because God says this through the mouth of Moses to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, in Exodus chapter 9. God says, Pharaoh, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, the reason God uh, parted the Red Sea and led his people out of captivity, it wasn't just to rescue Israel. It wasn't just to show the king of Egypt his power. It was so that the whole world would hear about it and come to know and love the God of Israel. God is blessing his people to bless Israel all peoples and it's working because as we turn the page to Joshua, we see Rahab, a Canaanite woman who is not an Israel, an Israelite say this. She says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You see Rahab, who's not a Jew, hears about who the God of Israel is and what he's done and she believes in him. God is filling the world with people who know him and love him, and he's using his people to do it. He's blessing his people so that they would bless all peoples. If I had time this morning, I would go through more Old Testament stories. David killing, killing Goliath, Solomon, Solomon's wisdom, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being delivered from the fire, Daniel being rescued from the lion's den. It's the same thing on repeat. God blesses his people so that the world would hear about it and come to know him. We've seen it throughout the Old Testament stories so far, and as we turn the page to Psalms, the pattern continues. Book of Psalms, 150 chapters, 175 times in the book of Psalms, God mentions his heart for the nations. We don't have time to go through all of them, but let's look at one. It's Genesis 12 on repeat, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. So some of you already know this, but I went to Florida State for college. Can I get a go, Knowles? I see, I see a couple in, in the crowd. Yeah, there we go. But anyways, when I got to FSU, all my friends, they wanted to major in, you know, like medicine and engineering and business, but I wanted to go where the money was, risk management. You know, I love calculating risks, and it's interesting because when I read Psalm 67 through my risk management brain, I love it. I love it when God says, God, be gracious to me, bless me, make your face shine upon me. I mean, that's no risk, high reward. I'm all in. I'm like, yes, yes and amen, Lord. But you see, the blessing of salvation, it also comes with a risk. God blesses us and then he asks us to turn and risk as we take that blessing of salvation to the world. Don't miss this. If you are not careful, you will simply be a Christian who absorbs the blessings of God and ignores the responsibility of being a blessing to the nations. We say, you know, no, oh Lord, I don't, I don't want to risk losing money. I don't want to risk losing the job promotion. I don't want to risk not being comfortable. So what do we do? We say, thank you, Lord, for the blessings, but no thanks. The nations, it's not worth the risk. But don't just settle for the blessings. God invites us into the risk. Listen to this promise that God gives us as we see God's mission continue in the Old Testament prophets. Malachi 1.11 God says this, My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Look at this. The risk, it comes with a promise. His name will be great, it will happen. Genesis 12 will be fulfilled. The risk is worth the reward. The risk is worth the reward. You see, we've just gone from Genesis to Malachi, the first book in the Old Testament to the last book in the Old Testament. And it's the same message over and over. God is blessing his people to bless all peoples. He's filling the world with people who know him and love him, and he's using his people to do it. So as we turn the page into the New Testament, we see that the ultimate blessing from God to humanity, he shows up, and his name is Jesus. He's God in the flesh. And when God himself shows up, we shouldn't be surprised that the pattern that started in the Old Testament doesn't change. It continues. And I think the easiest place to see that is in the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God loved the world... In this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God giving his one and only son for the world is the greatest proof that he loves the world. And this is the best news in the world because the world is condemned without it. But here we see that by believing in the son, we can have eternal life. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins in our place and rose from the, from the dead to save sinners. So, so if you're in this room this morning and you are not believing in the son for eternal life, I encourage you, trust in him and his work alone to secure your salvation. If you have questions about that, come talk with me, talk with Dylan, talk with your, your friend that invited you. But this gospel, this good news, it's not just good news for David, it's not just good news for you, it's not just good news for America, it's good news for the world. But it's only good news if you've heard it and you believe it. And the problem is, there's still plenty of places in the world that have never heard it and therefore can't believe it. Jesus He's about to invite us to be a blessing to the world by taking this gospel message to the world. He's about to give us some final instructions. And these are things that you, frankly, you just can't miss. Final instructions are too important. And when I think about final instructions, I can't help but think about a time in my life when I didn't pay close enough attention to the final instructions. Uh, Again, some of you know this, but after I graduated, I decided to take a job in campus ministry at Florida State with Crew, and it was great. Every summer, we got to go to these uh, summer assignments, and I remember some of my friends, they would kind of get boring assignments, but I remember after my first year of ministry when they told me that I was going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and my first thought was, dude, I'm going to be a cowboy, (laughs) and I was, kind of. I got to ride a horse, but... uh, but anyways, we show up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and one of the first things they do is they gather all of the staff members together, and they bring in some local hikers who kind of know the area well to kind of give us some, some training and uh, really to kind of walk through how to handle certain animals that we might encounter. So, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm from Florida, so I'm really grateful they're doing this because in Florida, like, the only thing I know how to handle is like a duck. Like, I don't know... I don't know how to handle animals, so so, so they're going down the list, you know, and they're like, you know, if you see a chipmunk, pull out your picture, take a cute little, little photo of it. If you see a skunk, you know, back up slowly, and then they start getting to the big stuff, and this guy says, if you encounter a bear, and then he pulls out this can of bear spray, and we're from Florida, so most of us probably don't know what bear spray is. But it's basically like a fire extinguisher, just a little smaller. And it, it's, it's essentially mace on steroids. You know, so, I, so he's kind of going through, talking about bears. I'm listening, kind of in and out a little bit. Honestly, I can't remember what I was thinking about, maybe like wrestling a bear to the ground or something. But, but anyways, we, we, we finish the training. We go on this hike. We're about 30 minutes in. Some other staff members join us. And... Uh, one of the girls that, that joined us, if I'm being honest, I thought was a little cute. So, you know, I positioned myself next to her really for her protection. But, but we're walking, we're walking and we're chatting it up. And, and then we, we, we get like 10, minute, 10 minutes more in and she looks at me right in the face. She pulls out a can of bear spray and she says, David, I wasn't at the safety training. How would I use this? Oh, let me show you. So, so I grabbed the bear spray from her. I popped the cap off. But but what I had somehow missed in the safety training is that bear spray doesn't have a safety. When you take the cap off, it just starts spraying. So when I took the cap off, it started spraying. And, I mean, it's spraying everywhere. It's on me, it's on her, it's on little kids. It sprays on a park ranger. There's people running, crying, wiping snot off their face. One girl literally went to a stream and, like, dunked her head in water. And, and my first thought is, I'm getting sued. Like, someone is going to sue me. You see, it's a funny story. Uh, I missed the full instructions. I thought I knew it all, but I was wrong. Now, missing the full instructions when it comes to bear spray, it's a small thing, right? But as Christians, if we miss the full instructions from Jesus, it is way more devastating. After Jesus, he rises from the dead and he spends 40 days on earth teaching. And and one of the things that he says to his disciples, and these are really his last words, not only to them, but to us. And maybe you think you've heard this before, maybe you think you already know this, but but this is too important to miss. Jesus, he turns to those who have believed in him and he says, in light of my life, death, and resurrection, go, go and make disciples of all nations. This is called the Great Commission, uh, and I used to think that this was the only Great Commission text. There's not one Great Commission text though, there's actually five. There's one at the end of each of the Gospels and then one at the beginning of the book of Acts, and on five different occasions during Jesus' 40 days on earth between his death and his his resurrection and his ascension, he mentions the Great Commission five different times, each one with a little bit of a different emphasis. So here in Matthew, Jesus tells us to go. Remember how the mission of God began. Genesis 12, what did God tell Abram? Go. Jesus says go, and don't just make converts but disciples he also tells us don't just make disciples of your nation but all nations this is the first great commission the second one in mark jesus says go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation you see in mark the emphasis is on scope jesus is saying there's not a place in the world or a person on earth that doesn't need to hear this good news In Luke, Jesus says this, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. In Luke, Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and he reminds us that this is not new. This isn't a new thing. Jesus tells us that he is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. He is the ultimate blessing that will bless all the nations of the earth. He is the one who brings forgiveness of sins for those who change their mind and trust in him. That's the third one. In John, we see the fourth one. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Here, Jesus tells us that we are all sent. So that means that if you're in this room, if you can hear my voice, and if you're a believer, you are sent. The question is not, am I sent? The question is, where am I sent? To whom am I sent? Now, some of us might go farther geographically than others. Like, you might cross an ocean, I might cross the street. But the reality is, we are all sent ones, This is the fourth Great Commission text. The last one is in Acts where Jesus says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You see, in Acts, Jesus gives us the power and the direction that we so desperately need. And he tells us that it's not about Our abilities, it's about his power that lives inside of us. He gives us God the spirit so that we will be empowered to be disciple makers, to be gospel proclaimers, to be witnesses, and then he gives us direction. He says we're to go to the ends of the earth. If Jesus didn't make it clear in Matthew, if he didn't make it clear in Mark, if he didn't make it clear in Luke, if he didn't make it clear in John, if he didn't make it clear in Acts, we are his plan A, and there's not a plan b. Why why does Jesus feel the need to remind us five times to be global with our faith though? I mean, if Jesus tells us to do something once, we should probably just do it, right? I think it's I think it's because he knows us. He knows that if the great commission was just one verse at the end of Matthew, we would tend to make it an option to be considered rather than a command to be obeyed. He knows our tendency to live for our own small, self-centered purpose. But Jesus, he's inviting us into something so much bigger and so much better. Don't miss this, don't miss this. This is why God created you, to bless you with salvation so that you would be a blessing of that salvation to all the peoples of the earth. That is your life's purpose, and anything less than that will disappoint you and fail. In light of these five reminders that Jesus gives us, the Apostle Paul, he really gives us a strategy for how we should do this. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. This is Paul's strategy. He goes to places where Christ is not known, makes him known, and then he goes somewhere else to start the whole thing over again. Paul's just thinking logically and strategically. He's saying, if we need to take this gospel message to all peoples in all the earth, we need to prioritize where there's no work being done. Paul's strategy can be and it should be our strategy today because there's still plenty of places and peoples in the world where Christ has not been named. And the vast majority of them are in this box. This is called the 1040 window. It's called that because it runs from 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north of the equator. You can see it runs from Northwest Africa through the Middle East, out past India, China, all the way to Japan. And in this box, over 5 billion people live. That's two-thirds of the world's population, roughly. What's even more significant, though, is that out of those 5 billion people in the 1040 window, over 3 billion of them would be considered unreached. Now, I didn't used to know this, but, but unreached is different than unsaved. An unsaved person, they reject the gospel by choice but an unreached person rejects the gospel by ignorance. An un- unsaved person doesn't believe in Christ, but an unreached person has never heard about Christ and therefore can't believe in him. You see, if someone is unsaved, that's a problem. But, but if, they, if they wanna learn about Christ, they, they have some good options. They can download a Bible in their own language. They can come to Faith Church. They can talk to you. But an unreached person has never heard about Christ. They don't have access to a Bible in their own language. They don't have a church that they can go to. They don't know any Christians. And there's over 3 billion people in that box that fit that description. You see, all people have the same need for the gospel, but not all people have the same access to the gospel. So for the over 3 billion unreached people in that box they will most likely be born, live their entire lives, die and spend an eternity apart from God without ever hearing the good news. And and that's a tragedy. They can't believe the gospel because they've never heard it. And they can't hear it unless something changes. And something changes with us. And I... I remember the first time that I heard about the 1040 window, I, I felt absolutely hopeless. And while this is a huge obstacle, it's also an incredible opportunity. It's an opportunity for urgent obedience. All throughout scripture, we have seen that God is inviting us into his mission to reach all the peoples of the earth. And what's amazing about this opportunity is that we can look at the 1040 window with confident hope. Why? Because this this is not the end of the story. The 1040 window is what the world looks like today, but it's not what the world will look like forever. And we know that because God gives us a future vision in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Read with me in, in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, the unreached won't be unreached forever. There will be a vast multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language worshiping Christ forever. It's a guarantee. And the question is not, will this come true? The question for us is, will we join God in making this verse come true? And if so, how do we do that? Our action steps today can be summed up in two words go and send. We can go and we can send. We can go here by reaching internationals here and we can go there by reaching the unreached there. That's how we go. But we can also send and the two ways we send are by praying and giving. And and here's just a quick overview. Go here. There are roughly 65,000 people from unreached people groups in the 1040 window that God has strategically relocated to the greater Tampa Bay area. He's brought them here so that you would get to know them and share the good news of the gospel with them. They own restaurants and markets you drive by every day. Their kids go to school with your kids. They shop at the same shops that you do. You don't need a passport. You don't need a race support. You don't even need to learn a new language. You just need to say hi in the grocery store. The question is, will you have eyes to see them, hearts to love them, and feet to move towards them? Have an impact on the 1040 window tomorrow by initiating with the nations in your neighborhood today. But we don't need to just go here, we also need to go there. You see, staying home and going short-term, it, it just won't do it. Some of us, in fact many of us, are gonna need to change our address long-term to take the gospel to the unreached in the 1040 window. So I, I encourage you and your family to start praying about going long-term to the 1040 window now. If you're currently in school, start praying about going long-term after you graduate. In the meantime though, all of us, everyone should go short-term. You're gonna have opportunities through Faith Church in the coming summers to go short-term. Maybe not to the 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 1040 window, but to places where there's still plenty of people that are unsaved and need to hear the gospel. So if you've never served cross-culturally before, that is a great next step for you. The traveling team, we also have opportunities to connect you with, to go short, to go long-term. Uh, if you're an engineer or you're a teacher or you're in the business world or honestly anything for that matter, we have opportunities for you to go both short and long-term to be a blessing to Unreached People groups. Come talk to me after the service. You can email me at david at thetravelingteam.org. I'd love to talk with you more, but... But that's how we go. We go here and we go there. But we we don't just go. We also send. We also send. And, and sending isn't any less spiritual than going. It's not any less spiritual. But at the same time, it should be no less sacrificial. So how do we send? We send by praying. We pray for those who are going to the unreached. We pray for more to go, and we pray that those who don't have access to the gospel yet that they will. The church has resources here, there's a book out there that you can buy, Dylan mentioned an app, there's free apps, like there's ways for you to start praying for the world today, will you? But we don't just send by praying, we also give. It's not free, it's not cheap to go on a short-term mission trip, to move overseas long-term. So, so we financially support those who are going to get them there and to keep them there. We, we, we take our wallets out and we put our money where our mouth is, for lack of a better phrase. If you know a missionary going to the unreached, give to them. If you don't, I can get you connected with one. So that, that's the two ways we get involved. We go and we send. We go here by reaching internationals here. We go there to the unreached. We send by praying and giving. That's, that's how we get involved in God's global mission today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. Now, you don't have to have a, a five or a 10-year plan figured out in going and sending to say yes to being a part of God's mission and, I actually wanna give us all an opportunity to say yes right now. So I'm gonna do something a little different, just bear with me. Uh, but if you look on, on the screen, you'll see you'll see a commitment. And, and now I, I know every time we hear the word commitment, we feel, hold on dude, pump the brakes. Like I'm already overcommitted and I just can't do anything else. And I get it, I understand. I'm actually not gonna back down though because uh, I'm not gonna say this is an easy commitment or a short commitment. But this is a commitment that all of us as believers can and should say yes to. So I'm going to read what this is, explain it, and then uh, as we close in prayer, I'm going to actually have everyone who desires to make this commitment, like be really brave and raise your hand up high, and I'm going to pray for you. But, but let me read and explain what it says. It says, I commit myself to obeying Christ and declaring his salvation to the unreached world by serving as a cross-cultural goer and or a sacrificial sender. So so making this commitment, raising your hand, it doesn't save you. It's not saying that you're jumping on a plane tomorrow to go to the 1040 window. It's not saying you're emptying your bank account tonight to give to a missionary going to the unreached. It's not saying any of those things. It's simply saying, God, I see what you are doing throughout time and history. I see what you're doing throughout all of scripture and I want in. I want to play a part. I want to be involved in your global eternal mission. You know, you, you might be scared, you might be unsure of what your next step is, but, but holding up your hand and making this commitment is just saying, I'm in. I want to play a part as a goer or a sender. So as we close in prayer, I want everyone who desires to make this commitment to hold their hands up high, and I'm going to pray for us. So hold them high and let me pray. God, we, we thank you that you have blessed us with salvation you have sent your son to live perfectly for us to die on the cross for our sins in our place to rise from the dead so that we could be forgiven and justified in your sight we thank you God that you desire not just to bless us but to be a blessing to the nation so God I pray for all of us I pray that that those who haven't trusted in you will I pray for those of us who have God that you would you would interrupt our lives where needed. You would would interrupt our lives to get involved in taking the gospel where it's not known in the world, God. It's the greatest thing any of us can give our lives to. So I pray that you would fill us with confidence in your word, confidence in your purposes, confidence in the future reality that people from every nation, every tribe, and every language will be worshiping you forever with us. God, allow us to play our parts in making your name known where it's not in the world. God, we thank you. We pray for all of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory among the nations. Amen.